And I remember coming home and watching these two planes fly into these buildings on the TV. We watched the second plane hit the tower. September 11 kind of changed everything dramatically for all of us, for humanity. So you went to work every day being reminded of September 11 and being reminded of the lives that have fallen and, and that sunk in your mind every day for them and for me of why you were going to work. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The single greatest sacrifice I've made is my family. We weren't out there to take country, we were out on your That was their job. I did feel a lot of regret. Friends were still getting killed. It got to the point where you know you're going to funerals quite often. Do I lead under fire? And that was a heavy responsibility, I guess, on my shoulders that I didn't want to screw up. War itself is horrific. It's a horror story. It should never be dressed up as if it's something glorious. Not what you can do for yourself, or what can you do for your country? The volunteer for service was in effect to put your life on the line. September 11, 2001, is a day that changed the world. It sent a generation to war and had wider security and cultural repercussions in the West that we still feel today. As we approach the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, Australia has finally withdrawn our last members of the Defence Force from Afghanistan. At home, we're watching the Royal Commission into Veteran Suicide get underway and Afghanistan has fallen so quickly to the Taliban, who have reclaimed territory that 41 Australians fought and died in. There is a lot of conversation in the media about why we went to war in Afghanistan and what's happening now we're gone. From all the good we achieved there to questions of now, in the end, was it all worth it? Whatever you think the answer is, when reflecting on any conflict, they're necessary questions. But while the public conversation continues, it's important to reflect and remember the zeitgeist in 2001 and the impact of that day. So in time for the 20 year anniversary, we've taken clips from a range of podcasts we've recorded over the last five years to remember. These are the voices of Australian military veterans and their memories of September 11. Number 10, Eddie Robertson. Do you remember where you were when 9-11 happened? Yes, uh, distinctly. Uh, I was at patrol base Marco, that, that small place I just described. And uh, I remember there was a couple of us, we were, I think we were either training in the outdoor gym or we were kicking a footy or something. And somebody came out and said, well, quick, everyone in into the CP or the command post where we had a little, an old school television set up there. This is 2001, so it wasn't LCD or anything like that. Yeah, so we'd been we'd gathered around this uh, small television, and, and there were pictures being transmitted of the uh, or broadcast of the the tower with the first plane strike. Like many people, I think we, there was a fair bit of confusion there. But then I distinctly remember we watched the second plane come in. Even just talking about it now, I, I still feel a little bit um, chilled because it, it was really frightening for a lot of us. And um, you know, we were going, "Geez, you know, this is America, one of our major allies, and this is clearly, you know, some kind of attack." And uh, I remember one of the senior guys said, "We're going to go to war over this, boys," and the rest's history. Did that concern you at the time? The knowledge you were most likely going to war. 
No, I, I, look, I, I had a few mixed emotions. I mean, I, I remember the footage of the people that had thrown themselves out of those buildings because they were uh, their alternative was to burn to death. Like a lot of guys, I took that personally, you know. I mean, they were innocent people, you know, going about their business and then, you know, what happened happened. But um, I, I think, you know, we were all pretty, you know, there was a collective resolve there that if we were going to be sent, that's our job and that's what we're there to do. It wasn't anything, you know, that was driven by vengeance or it was if we're going to get sent to support a coalition effort then that's what we're going to do and as, as you know not long after um some some guys from the sas ended up going over to afghanistan and then um obviously the rest's history number eight sarah turner and michael rice it's strange angus this is one of the few things i vividly do remember about the time i was hmas watson and i was already scheduled to join canimblum she was actually doing a world trip and i was super excited and it was all my dreams come true of traveling the globe and we had some fabulous ports that i'd only ever dreamed of visiting and i woke up because i'd left my tally on and i actually watched the twin towers fall live and i remember lying there thinking I think my world trip is off. Like that was literally my first thought. And I remember thinking this will forever change my life in that moment. And I just almost a sense of detachment, watched the towers fall and watch what was unfolding and thought it's going to be a very interesting morning. That was my initial thought. I wake up uh, with the alarm clock was uh, Andrew Denton on the radio. There's something that struck me about the way he's speaking, like normally he's the funny guy and he's got a light-hearted voice, but that day it almost sounded like he was crying when he was talking. And that's what struck me as soon as I woke up and I was listening to him talking and that's what he was talking about, the, the Twin Towers straight away. As soon as I woke up and heard that, I knew something big had happened and I just went, oh no, like I actually felt how big that was, that planes crashed into the um, Twin Towers and that it sounded like a terrorist attack and I knew it would have big implications for me. Number three, Garth Callender. And to be honest, it wasn't long after I'd gone to Duntroon that 9-11 occurred, which I always say I think is when, you know, reality for my generation suddenly got serious. Number 13, Elizabeth Matthews. Yeah, so I was posted to Aubrey Wodonga then and um, in the training development cell units where we write training for capability, to meet capability requirements. I recall getting home from work and seeing the, the footage, because I lived on a property out of Yakandanda in Victoria at the time, and seeing the footage and the emotion that I felt was just unbelievable. Thinking about those poor members on the plane, thinking about what they were feeling at the time, knowing they're on a hijacked plane and whether they would survive. Thinking about the people that were in those buildings when the when the plane hit, or some people may have even seen the plane coming because they were on that, their desks were on that side of the building. Yeah, I, I just thought that uh, obviously the whole world was in shock from that activity or from that event, and you know, and it was all a matter of what now, what next. Number sixteen, Chris May. So, what first drew you to the army? In all honesty, I kind of uh, was in high school and obviously my first year of high school was um, just after September 11 and that was the day the world changed everyone remembers the sort of thing and you know I can remember waking up on September 11 here in Australia going to go watch cheese TV and and uh, watch some cartoons but they weren't on because it was just the constant footage of the Twin Towers being attacked and um, later on I started to get really drawn to the military side I wanted to be a, um, a pilot at a young age but I didn't have the grades at school so I started to lean towards the army a bit more and um, I found the army cadets and I became an army cadet down in Dandenong and found it just absolutely drawn to it really. I couldn't get enough of it sort of thing. And then when, they, um, when I saw an APC come into the cadet unit one day, 
I said, I want to drive one of those things. And, you know, two years later, I was in the army driving as labs. So it was a really, really kind of um, long drawn out process, but it, it brought me to some pretty cool experiences in my time. Number 25, Paul de Gelder. I guess like everyone else, I know exactly where I was when it happened. I was actually on the base at Holsworthy, laying in my bed, watching TV and the, the screen cut out and went to, it was like being in America where you watch movies and they say, this broadcast is being interrupted, very, very special announcement. And that's exactly what happened. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This doesn't happen. And then the plane crashed in the building. I was like, holy shit. And I went out onto the balcony and knocked on some of the doors around me to my mates and told them. Then I went back, turned the TV off and went to sleep and a couple of minutes later I hear screaming and yelling and I go outside and they're like another plane crashed into the building I was like holy shit and I turned the TV on and my instantaneous thought was we're going to war and it wasn't really a rush it wasn't like uh, it wasn't what you were saying no it wasn't like I'm gonna get to do my job for real it was more like this is serious this is really really serious and I've only been in the army for a little time. It made me think about all these guys from uh, the Australian Imperial Forces and World War II who got conscripted and had so little training before they got shipped off to Egypt and to France and the, the horrific things that they saw. That, so that flashed through my mind. I was just thinking, shit, I've been prepared so minor for what might come. Number 26, Alison Norris. Well, we were living in the United States. Uh, when 9-11 happened, I was at work and uh, one of my colleagues came in and said, oh, an aircraft has flown into the World Trade Center and we immediately assumed it was a small Cessna, that it wasn't anything to be thought of. But then within about 15 minutes, they came back in and said, uh, it's happened again and they're jetliners. And that immediately made everybody pay attention, essentially, and we, we were all in shock. There's no two ways about it. People just simply could not believe that this had occurred. And I remember watching the two towers fall on television and being just in complete shock of how could this possibly have happened and what, what will happen now. And it was an interesting perspective to watch the reaction from the Americans around me. So from my perspective as an Australian, I don't think I felt it as much as they did because they saw their country, I think in some ways, falling apart around them. And they weren't quite sure how, how to recover from it, I think initially. And it took them a while to recover from the shock and then work out how are we going to recover from this? How are we going to move forward? And to their credit, they've done a fantastic job. Number 28, Mark Wales. Yeah, I remember watching that unfold when we were in East Timor and just seeing how much fighting was going on by the end of 2001 in Afghanistan. And you couldn't help coming to that conclusion that things had really changed. No one was talking about that region. No one was, no one was talking about Al-Qaeda before this had happened. It was a huge pivot for the entire world. We were in East Timor, but we knew about the Australian forces that were getting committed to Afghanistan. So it was interesting hearing, seeing all that unfold. And I had studied history and politics at Adfa and loved it. And, and to watch now a historical event unfold was pretty, was pretty uh, exciting and unnerving at the same time. Number 31, Dr. Dan Pronk, Volume 1, 
Uh, my brother at the time was serving with uh, SASR. He'd, he'd done selection and, and gone across to the unit. And, and I had at the end of my first year, which was 2001, so the September 11 events had occurred, of course, and the Twin Towers had fallen and Australia was gearing up, had sent an initial special operations detachment over to Afghanistan. And long story short, I'd, I'd visited Perth and, and uh, had a look around the unit there and, and just uh, you know, I had, had no exposure to that world prior to that and I, I met a few of the people and, and saw what went on and saw that what I felt was a really meaningful job that they were contributing to and uh, everything ramping up in Afghanistan and, and it was like a light bulb moment for me that was what I wanted to do. Number 33, Tracy Smart. Everything changed for the US military and I was uh, on base at the time and we I was actually sitting in the office I heard some footsteps up the hall and it was the readiness cell and they had televisions there because they were they were on standby if we needed to deploy anything around the world. So they said, oh, planes crashed into the World Trade Towers and we're going, oh, that sounds a bit flight medicine-y. We better go down and have a look. And as we were standing there, the second plane crashed into the other tower and it was like, what, what, you know, what's going on? And that moment of us all going, what's happening was just one of those moments you never forget. I still get shivers up my spine when I think about it. And as that day progressed, you know, we had jets on the base, F-15s, that, that took off to intercept some of the other aircraft. We heard rumours that other uh, airlines were coming in from other countries with targets all over America. It was, it was just we didn't know what was happening. The whole base was locked down. After a couple of hours or hour or so, we thought, oh gosh, we've got no food. What are we going to do? We're locked on, on their thing. So we went down to the little sweet shop or whatever in the basement and it was absolutely wiped out of food. Everybody got there before us. Even the hostess Twinkies went and they're the last things to go in an emergency. And so that was a very surreal day. And then from that moment on, as I was there to see the whole US war machinery really crank up because, of course, there hadn't been a lot of action for quite some time. Um, so they really all geared up for war. So it was really interesting to be there and, and obviously play a part in some of that as uh, as they, you know, started down that path that you know, we've been on really ever since in one way or another. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Number 36. Mark Donaldson, BC. September 11th had happened, and that was just before I flew overseas. And I remember coming home and watching these two planes flying to these buildings on the TV. A couple of days after that, I was flicking through the newspaper and I saw this picture, right? It was a big double-page spread. It said Special Air Service Regiment. There was this picture of this guy. You know, he was in this black outfit and he had this webbing on with magazines in it and a gun and there's a bit of smoke behind it. And for whatever reason, I just, it was like, I call it a primal cue, right? So I was already looking for something and this just happened to appear. And for me, it was a, that seems like what I want to do. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to do it. I don't know who that is, right? But I want to do that, right? I want to, and I read this page and I looked at it and I said, I want to do that. Number 43, Dan Kieran, VC. Where were you when 9-11 happened? Funnily enough, I was actually in Malaysia again for my second deployment. Well, not a deployment, but second time I was in Malaysia. I do remember being there at RCB. So I was across there again and, um, you know, it was, you know, there's talk of issuing live ammunition, you're on base, we've got the, the airstrip there, you know, everything just locked down and everyone was just glued to a TV going, what is going on, what's what's happened? And being in a foreign country at that point in time, the world really did change. I mean, everything from searches to, to security, yeah, look, it ramped up, it was very visible where I was. So I don't know what it was like in Australia, but where we were and certainly being in uniform whilst that happened, it was a bit of excitement as well. But I mean, it was quite saddening to, to see that happen at the same time uh, and to realise that or not realise, I suppose, at that point in time, the significance of that event and what was going to happen from that. 
something was going to change and straight away that you know i wouldn't say the rumors start but the talk starts well what are we going to do about this what, what does this mean for defense force what does this mean for us so you start pondering and thinking about those questions and years later i would find myself in iraq number 44 mick bainbridge so where were you when 9 11 happened I remember I'd just gotten home. It was late that evening. I'd been out with friends and, and turned on the TV and I was still at school, high school. It was kind of an interesting point of time because I, I had a feeling then that that very moment was going to, to shape my adulthood. Uh, I knew I was going into defence. I knew that that's where I'd be. And I wasn't sure that it would perhaps be an event that created you know, an engagement or a war space that's lasted nearly 20 years. But, um, but that was, it was probably one day I'll never forget. Number 47, Bram Connolly. I mean, all of our lives changed, especially in 4 Our Commando. We had just gotten back from a patrol and we were in the tents watching. We watched the second plane hit the tower. Not weeks later, we were told that we would be raising Tactical Assault Group East. Number 54, H Volume 1. Talk me through your memory of 9-11. For some reason, I was up at where the headquarters was. I was coming back into the chow hall for something. There was a lot of, you know, when you start to pick up some, you know, movement and chatter, it just sort of peaked and sort of five minutes beforehand, to the extent where your situation awareness goes, you start asking questions because you don't know what's going on. So you're like, hey, what's going on? To everybody you pass, they're like, oh, there's been something big in the US and everyone's mumbling and moving towards the TV. And so you start moving towards the TV. It was still very early in the stages where I can't remember what time frame it happened. But anyway, they were just having that constant replay and switching from the, you know, this report and that report and this report and that report or someone on the ground and you're just showing that raw footage that we now all know too well of the scenes of, you know, the people fleeing in the street just covered in ash and screaming through to the planes, you know, hitting the towers, through to the other reports of, you know, one's landed here and there's one near the Pentagon and we've got unconfirmed report here and it just, it was at that absolute chaotic stage is how you describe it. There's no other word for it. I can remember looking at the screen and the first thing I thought in my mind was, I just went, fuck, like, this is a game changer. Like, this is going to change the world. That, that were my first thoughts. I haven't worked with the US a little bit in previous years. I haven't worked with them uh, in, um, in Somalia with the uh, United States Marine Corps. And just seeing how they responded to other things, I just knew then and there that this was going to be absolutely massive. Number 56, James Medley. When 9-11 happened, I was... But that was a Tuesday night, I remember it pretty good. I was coming home from the reserves after having a night of training. It was fairly late and I just happened to, I was still living at home at the time, I just turned the TV on as I would and um, starting to unwind and getting out of my uniform and I just put the TV on and I noticed that um, I had CNN on TV and I didn't have CNN, I didn't have any Foxtel, but every channel had CNN on and um, it was the, uh, the Twin Towers. Obviously, um, we all know what happened to those, but um, yeah, it was quite captivating. Number 68, Harry Moffat. September 11 kind of changed everything dramatically for all of us, for humanity. <laughs> but particularly for us, that, that really changed everything. And uh, we had quite a few guys come back to swell the ranks. Were you back with the regiment by that point? Yeah, I was, I was actually just in the midst of coming back. I was, like I said, training with the coppers in the UK and had a phone call from uh, at the RSM at that stage, Gary Kingston, and I'd reached out to another mate of mine as well. But it was right around that time. And then uh, I remember, I think I was doing some bag work with some police in, in the UK when September 11 happened. I kind of just knew this is going to be... This is going to impact me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. How long is it from you rejoining the regiment to your first overseas deployment? Yeah, months. 
Number 76, Sarah Watson. I was posted to this signals regiment, living in Cronulla and commuting out to Holsworthy. I was getting ready for work and this came on the TV and literally couldn't really understand if this was real or if it was a, a movie kind of scene. So got to work and realised this was going down and it changed the world. It changed every aspect of the way in which in the military we were operating. Things came into place that hadn't existed before. Safe base ramped up to the highest level and we were under the pump with trying to get security measures in place to combat this new world environment we were about to face. Number 82, John Cantwell, Volume 1. What's your memory of September 11? That was another memorable day. I was running an organisation called the Force Development Group, uh, working more or less under the guidance of the then Deputy Chief of Army, General Peter Lay, and it was uh, our role to help him through my immediate boss. I had a brigadier boss uh, locally, but largely we answered straight to uh, the Deputy Chief of Army. He wanted us to design a different army. Under his guidance, what we have as our army now looks a lot like it does because of that initial work. So it was interesting stuff. But to do so, we did a lot of inquiring, a lot of research, a lot of consultation with allies abroad in Europe and in, particularly in America and with the US Marine Corps. And so I had a group of my officers, half a dozen of them, in Washington at the time. I was home in Puckapunil in my married quarter. I was having one of my nightmares, as it turned out, my PTSD nightmares, and I was awake at whatever time of the night it was, around midnight or something. I just couldn't sleep. And in the end, I turned the TV on and I could see these, this image of the uh, one of the Twin Towers on fire. Goodness gracious, what's happened here? Turn the sound up and uh, of course, we all know now what was going on. There were airliners flying into the World Trade Center towers, the Twin Towers. Then we heard that there'd been an attack on the Pentagon. Well, I quickly did the math and worked out that that was the day that my team was supposed to be meeting their counterparts in the Pentagon. And so I tried desperately to get in touch with them and couldn't and didn't and wasn't able to for, I think it was a good 36 hours or more. And we had no idea incredibly when we did here's the story i'll do i'll be brief they were booked into a room to conduct this meeting and let's call it room you know a7 whatever when they get there room a7 is double booked there's another group of americans lined up to have a meeting in that room there's a bit of a conflab someone pulls rank and the australians get told no bugger off you go down to room l16 right off they went Room A7 was uh, hit by that aircraft that flew into the Pentagon and killed everyone in that room. Those Australians were saved by a booking error. That was a close call for them. What a remarkable period of time. That's my memory of uh, the 9-11. Uh, Number 87, Jeremy Holder. I'm sure it was year 12, because I'm positive I was driving. I had my P's not long, and I was a basketball referee as my job. So I remember coming home from basketball and refing games, so you get home quite late and sitting down and, and grabbing some snacks after running up and down a court 2,500 times in a couple of hours. So uh, and I sat down on the couch and I put the TV on and, and like everyone, you know, the vision was on every channel. 
And at first we almost thought it was the same movie on every channel. So I remember it happening and I remember it being just that powerful vision. And but I suppose I was quite naive. I, I didn't have, you know, being so young, I think I was 17, no, only just 17. So I, I probably didn't have the, uh, you know, I didn't really understand the magnitude of what, what that meant and what was going to happen from there. So in my mind, I was already joining the army. Um, my application went in when I think when I was 16, nine months, I started the process. I was definitely 17. I mean, I was 17 when I joined the army. So I started that process pretty early on. So I already knew I was doing it. So, I, you know, who knows what would be going through mum and dad's head, obviously being more mature and they would sort of maybe be a bit worried. I, I actually haven't asked them, but yeah, I definitely remember coming home from refing a basketball game and, and seeing it live on TV. Number 92, Dean Parkinson, volume one. When I came back from Cairns, I came back from Cairns in 2001 and I'd been back for maybe a week, actually been at the beer garden with a few mates having a few beers and we were tying one on, so to speak, and we were coming home to have a shower, get changed and actually go back out for the evening. I think it was late afternoon from recollection, but I came home, jumped over the railing and one of my friends was sitting there and he was sort of sitting there watching TV, he was transfixed on the TV, which sort of was really strange. And as we walked in, he sort of said, hey man, you got to watch this, you know? And I remember thinking, okay, but I ran inside to grab my jeans and stuff and I came back in and he goes, mate, you got to watch this, you got to watch what's going on here. So we stopped, we watched the TV, we'd only been watching it for a couple of maybe two minutes watching this tower with fire on it and then we saw this plane fly into the second tower boom so it's September 11 and I remember just looking at it going it sobered me up straight away and I remember thinking what the hell am I watching here you know like who's responsible for this and this is going to change the world the reason I'm sort of going on about this is that because at that stage I was sort of getting uh, back with my long-time on-and-off girlfriend, who is now my wife, Julie. Look, those years that I worked at Qantas, I absolutely loved. And um, we started our little family while I was working there. So it was a great, stable job. I wasn't wanting for anything. You know, we bought our first house, had uh, two young boys, and life was really good. But all this time in the back of my head, while I was doing this job, was September 11th and, and the, the military and the army. And from that very day that I saw September 11th happen, I remember being back in contact with some friends of mine. A couple of them were in the SASR, and one mate of mine was in this unit for RER. Number 100, Gary Wilson. What can you tell us of your memory of 9-11? I had a friend sharing my house with me, and I woke up and he's like, Gary, quick, come in here. We're going to war. I was like, fuck's going on here. I ran into his room and on the TV it was the second plane flying into Tower 2. Right, let's quick shave, quick off the work and start packing our gear and get ready to deploy wherever we're going because we decided that as a, that was an act of war right there and there. So we're like, wherever we're going, we go, obviously we're going to be called to come to defend and protect the United States because like we're partners in crime for everything. So, so you, you knew pretty much instantly, like both of you, as soon as that happened, Pack the bags. Yep. We were off. We got back, we got to our battalions and so got to three hour together and into our platoons and everyone's already on the balcony, start packing their gear for DP1 inspections and the inevitable deployment that was coming our way. Number 101, Bob Hunter. The world dramatically changes on September 11, 2001. From someone who had been out of the army a few years by that point, I have to wonder when that major event happened, did you look at that and think, gosh, I'm glad I'm not in the military because I know I'd be having to deal with this if I was, or did the thought of, man, I imagine you still knew in the forces cross your mind that who would be dealing with the brunt of that? All of the secondary, when you've spent, you know, 16 plus years training for that, you look at it and you go, okay, well, there'll be some flow on legacies from that. If I was still serving, what would they be? But also by that stage, you know, I'd, I'd moved on in 
a little bit of time and age, and so you're not necessarily going to be down at that younger frontline level. So on that side, yep, I looked with an informed eye and enjoyed seeing what the uh, evolution and challenges were that our military were going to have, have to face. As they came over an extended time also, you know, started to have concerns about how that would impact people on repeated missions, but that's a story that's not mine to tell. Number 114, Bruce McLennan. Tell me your memory, Bruce, of 9-11. Sitting at home, playing with a a new computer, uh, obviously very rudimentary. Uh, My wife was watching television, she called me in, and she said, look, uh, a plane's accidentally just hit one of these towers in New York. Uh, I was watching it, whether we watched the second Uh, aircraft uh, impact onto the second tower. She turned and said, your life will never be the same. And about 20 minutes later, um, my pager went off, went into work, deployed a couple of days later for six months to Brisbane. So the counter-terrorist force shifted from the west coast to the east coast to be a little bit closer to the uh, centre of gravity, I suppose. And it was about four months into that deployment, we were notified that we were were the next cab off the rank to go to Afghanistan. So at the end of the six months, we uh, spent five days in Perth, basically refitting with equipment to deal with the harsh Afghan climate and uh, then deployed overseas to Afghanistan. So I saw the family for five days in 12 months. Number 109, Keith Wallahan. Do you remember how you felt when September 11 happened and you saw those planes hitting the Twin Towers? Vividly. I was at two company in Williamstown and Melbourne. We were running a course and someone being from Melbourne, everyone's interested in the AFL. So someone turned on Channel 10 to see if, I think it was Matthew Lloyd from Essendon had been given a particular penalty. And Sandra Sully from Channel 10 then broke, the first Australian network broke to New York and we just stayed watching all night and everything was different from the next day. So how do you feel that um, your military experience then changed as a result from that? I think it became more serious, not just within commandos, but all across the Australian military. We we realised Australian lives were at risk and there was a role to play, uh, not just in Afghanistan, but in domestic security as well. And it did lead to a significant change in the training and roles for commandos. So let's describe the difference between our base and the American bases. In a way, our bases, you know, it's, it's scale, it's a bit different, but it's very similar. You know, there's certain ways you build a base and construct a mess and do the toilets and have the internet and all the other things. So it didn't look much different, but what struck me was the building you'd go to work in where we operated out of. You'd hand in all of your phones and equipment and you'd walk down this corridor that showed September 11 images on the plasma screen. And then you turn left down the other corridor and there's just rows of their dead special forces soldiers from that task group. So you went to work every day, being reminded of September 11 and being reminded of the lives that have fallen and, and that sunk in your mind every day for them and for me, of why you were going to work. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Thank you for listening and lest we forget. Thank you.